So we're going to begin reading in verse 24 of Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Rachel. We don't always stand, but it's good for us to get a sense of the weight of the Word of God. Um, we also don't always have a, a sermon that's kind of uh, finds its origins the way that we will uh, be dealing with a, a text and a, a topic today. Ordinarily, uh, for those of you that have been here on a repeated basis, you know that we are usually in some kind of a series that's around Advent or a time within the church calendar. And so we just came through that, uh, looking at what's going on with the, the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, so that, that was our Christmas series. Ordinarily, we spend the majority of our time walking through a Bible book. Um, how many of you guys remember the book of Acts, right? We did that not that long ago where we were in it. And it was 28 chapters long and it seemed like it took a little over seven years. Uh, it was a long, long, long time. Um, and we do that for a number of reasons. We, we do that uh, primarily because it's good to see a whole book. But more than that, it really keeps us in a constant rhythm of trusting the Word of God to unfold before us and to believe that the whole counsel of God's Word as it comes to us, say in the book of Acts, is really designed by God to prepare us, not just for the next day or the next week, but to prepare us for the rest of our lives. Because if not, then what can happen, and I, I understand this temptation, is that whoever is preaching, myself or somebody else, whoever is preaching gets to come up and share their thoughts for today. Hey, guess what, I, guess what I've been thinking this week? I got a lot of problems with you people, and so it becomes one of those moments, right? And that can be a dangerous thing, to take the Word of God and to just use it or to kind of marshal the Word of God, to kind of put it in my back pocket so that I can stand on my soapbox and share what I believe is wrong or what I believe the solution is or what I believe the problem might be or how I believe what we should possibly do. There, there can be a danger in that. And, and what holds us in check as ministers of the gospel is the Word that comes and, and we're about to actually, so I'm giving you a little bit of a prep here, we're about to start a new series through one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, starting next week. There we go. There was a couple of them, a couple of them. Yeah, John, okay? So it truly is. It's one of my, it's top four for me in terms of a Gospel. And uh, absolutely, absolutely love it. Actually, even more than top four. It's literally top two. Don't tell Mark or Luke I said that. But uh, I love, I do, I love the Gospel of John. I think it's going to be a, a good opportunity for us to walk through it. And, and here's what I love about it is, is when, when we have to deal with all 21 chapters and we have to deal with the unfolding of this, it, it allows us to trust the unworking of the Word of God or the unveiling of the Word of God to us where we're not just trying to find a verse for every problem. That, that can be a dangerous way. I, I believe the Bible speaks very, um, very accurately and very specifically to who we are. 
I just think it's um, a lot of the ways that, that Christians approach the Bible and that even preachers approach the Bible is just looking for the fix to the problem that they have right now. And it's a little bit like going shopping for food when you're hungry. And what do we feel like now? What, what, what do we want now? And, and there can be like a bad habit that we get into. And, and that's true. And by the way, I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm not just talking about those who, who stand um, at this table and share the word of God. I'm actually talking about the broader sense. So not preaching in terms of here, but the sharing of God's word in our everyday life. That you, when you preach, and what I mean by that is not tone, but there might be a tone, but what I mean by that is as you share from God's word about what is happening in you or in the world, and and you know what's going on, and when you begin to, to preach, when you begin to share what you believe to be true about God or true about the world, you're... You're doing this, and to always look for a verse or to always look for a chapter that comes to us can be an unhealthy way to use this incredible book that God has given us. So that's why we try to stay in in Bible books. Now, that being said, today I'm going to share with you a specific message about something that God has put on my heart. And I I get the weight of that. I, I promise you, I understand that. Where, where it fits a little bit more in line with what we do is that at the beginning of the year, there's usually a little bit of a, hey, it's the start of the year. Let's look back and celebrate all those things that God has done for us. And then let's look forward and let's just be reminded of those basic essential truths. So that's usually what I or someone else does uh, around this time of the year as the, the new 2022 is just kind of standing somewhat fresh and new in, in front of us. Um, I just, to be honest, I just, I feel like there, there's more. There's a lot that has been working specifically on my heart and in my own life, some deep growing convictions that I hope are biblical and I'm willing to be held to the biblical standard. I'm willing to be held to, um, uh, to what God's word is. And so for the words that I share with you this morning that come primarily from Acts 17, I, I pray that they become uh, an encouragement to you, an inspiration to you, a, a steadying to you. Uh, because I, I don't think I'm the only one that takes a look at what's happening at, around us right now and just having moments of, of, of fear and frustration, of looking at everything and just kind of feeling a little bit like things are out of control. And I'm, I'm almost tired of talking about that. No, I am tired of talking about that. But I don't know how to just pretend like it's not happening because it's just so prevalent. And it's what we talk about all the time. And I'm hearing words repeated like weary and concerned and frustrated. And I I can tell that people are trying to get me excited about something that's happening in our country or uh, in the world. Did you know that? And I can tell by the way they said, did you know that? That I probably, A, knew it. But I don't think I'm as either worried or as concerned or as enlightened as this other person is. And and by the way, I, I do the same thing. And so I don't want to look, look back at 2021 and say, hey, here's what's happened, and then look forward at 2022. What I would like for us to do this morning, um, before we get to jump in next week, John 1, verses 1 through 18, before we get to do that, I would like for us to take a look around. To take a look around and, and to realize that fundamentally, like we're here for a reason. This time, this place. And, and not just the time and place. It's easy for us to think about time and place, right? 2022, Stillwater, Oklahoma. 
But I want you to insert your name in there. Right? Your name. Um, the passions that you have, the, the frustrations that you have, or the fears that you have, or the insights that you have, the gifts that God has given you, you specifically, and then the collection of you is us, that we're here, 2022, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Why? How? What does that mean? Now, now by the way, we do need to be aware of how we got here. But I like what Reggie McNeil says when he says, so why do, we, why do we try to assess when we take a look around, right? When we take a look around, what are we trying to do when we ask the question, how did, how did we get here? How did we get here to this cultural moment? He says this, the point of knowing where you come from is not so that you can jettison the past. That's a, that's a big thing. Man, everybody's gotten it wrong until today. Man, you know what was wrong with yesterday's generation? Man, I, I, I can't believe that they used to think this or they used to talk like that. But I'm not saying those things aren't even kind of true. Uh, just wait 20 years and you'll find out that, boy, we're, we're here again. But it's not so that we jettison the past. It's also, or to discover how you're a victim of the past. I know how that feels. When, when you're going through a stage in your life, when you're spending a lot of time thinking about like how you got here and your parents and all that they did for you and all that they didn't do for you, when you take a look at the circumstances and you're not happy with some of them and you're not wanting, speaking about myself, not wanting to take ownership of some of those things, I, I know what it's like to just want to leave the past or, or find myself a victim to my past. But Reggie says that that's not, that's, that's not the Christian way in which we look at how we got here. He says this, but rather it is a way to gain insights into your initial and early formative experiences. Huh. So that doesn't mean I'm putting my head in the sand and saying that my, my parents had nothing to do with how I got here, good and bad. No. It's not trying to just completely undo everything and start a new page, right? I'm going to start 2022 like somehow 2021 and 2020 and all the other years didn't exist. Like, I don't know how you're going to do that. I have spent a lot of times in my life deeply sorry for who I am. You ever done this? I'm going to be a new person this year. You ever done that? I've done that. I don't know how many times I've done that. The problem is by like mid-January, I'm the same old guy. What if, biblically, what if what God wants from us, what if the story of the Bible, and that's what I'm wanting to lean into this morning from Acts 17, is what Paul is doing there, and he's not preaching to Christians, he's preaching to a bunch of philosophers. He's on the, the, this, this very specific point in Athens, and he's speaking this message about God to people who don't actually follow Jesus, who haven't given their lives to Christ, and he makes those observations that, we just, that Rachel just read. And it's the story of the Bible, which is that we stop and we don't get rid of the past. Jesus never said to those people who came to faith, ignore everything that you've heard. No, Jesus is kind of leaning back into the past. You're also not just, you're just not at the mercy of, this is an important Christian idea, you're not at the mercy of how you got here. You're not powerless at how you got here. 
Because what that does, wanting to erase the past or wanting to somehow just be a victim of the past, that what that fails to recognize is the ongoing, ever-present existence of God in the world and in your life. Like in your life, in your circumstances, in the daily unfolding of your life. And I, I think that's what many of us are missing is that when I begin to feel either afraid or frustrated with what's happening around me and I feel like I'm at the mercy of time, fate, I fail to recognize the biblical story, which is God not only knows, but God is actively engaged. Now, by the way, that can come up with a whole new list of questions. Well, then why did this happen? No, 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 I'm not saying and all of the questions disappear. I'm saying that those new questions stand with this 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 wonderful, gracious, good, godly figure standing over them. That we can understand how we got here by remembering that God has this. So I want to start with something that we need to know. What we need to know is this. That God is sovereign over, I'm going to love prepositions today. God is sovereign over, in, and through the time and place that we find ourselves. God is sovereign, and and that's what I mean. I don't just mean that he knows or that he's aware. By the way, he's not just one step ahead. I I love this idea. You know that God is not only everywhere, he is also everywhen. God is everywhere and everywhen. And I, I think that that reality that the Bible just keeps presenting as Israel finds itself lost and confused God is, is not lost and confused. God says to Moses, I have indeed seen the miseries of my people, and now I have come down and I am going to rescue them. So now go. But, but here's the part that I'm fascinated with, is that Moses was, in God's plan, like carefully and intentionally placed at a very important spot. Moses, his name meaning to be drawn out of the water, finds himself in an Egyptian palace, and he, he gives up all of that, and, and then he, he leaves, he flees, and, and God then uses his time in the, in the desert, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd, and God is using these times to prepare him, and this is a phrase that I love in the Bible, it's not from the story of Moses, for such a time as this. And then a bush is on fire, and God goes, it's time. But it's not like God just woke up. Tomorrow you will wake up to the circumstances that you find yourself in. And and you will kind of scroll through and see what's happening in the world. God is already there. God already knows and he's already actively engaged at at a level that you and I cannot cannot compute, cannot fully understand. And that's why it is so important that we know that God is sovereign. And by sovereign, I mean actively engaged in an ongoing process over and in and through the times and the places in which we find ourselves in. So so what does that mean? That means that the relationships that you find yourself in right now are not by accident. It's not, wow, how did, uh, how did these things happen? Um, th- those things don't work that way in the Bible. God, God has it. Now, you might go, well, I don't under, I mean, hear me, I, I promise you, there's lots of questions that this raises. 
Welcome to life. But the Bible seems to paint a very clear picture that Moses didn't accidentally end up there. And it wasn't just that he took some tests when he was in high school that he had the aptitude for leading people out of bondage. And so he went to the University of Cairo and he got a degree in how to lead Jewish people out of slavery. No. There were, there were things that were, that were moving and acting and, and Moses just finds himself. Now, by the way, not just caught up like in this whirlwind where he, he's completely disconnected from it. No, he, he's actively aware and he's actively engaged and he's actively faithful or not faithful. But in the midst of his failures and struggles, in the midst of his faithfulness and faithlessness, God is always faithful. And I think we need to be reminded of that to give us kind of some sure standing underneath our feet as it looks like everything is swirling around us and I don't know where this is going and I don't know when this is going to end and I, I, I just really, like, I just find myself and my heart is now racing and I, I'm talking even more and I, can't, I just can't post fast enough or I can't respond quick enough and the needs are even of the, my friends around me, even my closest friends around me, I just can't meet them all. But do you know that God is sovereign over, in, and through the times and the places that we live. And that we all are here now for this time. Acts chapter 17. Can I read it again? This is, this is what we're looking into. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in shrines made by hands. He's saying this in a place where there's lots of statues made for the worship of God. God doesn't need this place. I mean, we just got a new kids building now. Isn't that awesome? It is. We have a new adult education area that used to be like the tree house. And now there's going to be like adult classes in it. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, good. Those are, those are, by the way, are really helpful for us for the glory of God. It's not like God's going, okay, now I can finally get some stuff done. No. God doesn't need like that. It says verse 25, and neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives. This is the part that God is the primary. God is the first. God is the, the one who is already here. God is the one who is ahead. And, and I, I just, I don't see how that reality doesn't give you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this morning I don't assume that everybody in this room is. But for those of us who are, it's got to mean something. It's got to, it may not make all of our fears go away, but it's got to give a context to our fears. It won't make all of our frustrations just melt away, but it's got to do something with our frustrations. That he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. For from one man, this would answer a lot of questions about racism, from one man he has made every nationality. How can you claim that one is better than the other? From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and, and, and God himself has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. God's doing that. See, I always thought that Andrew and I decided that we, you know, we were just born in Canada. That was no, then after that, we're, we're getting out of here. We're moving to Missouri. Why? Didn't I tell you? It was Joplin. Have you been to Joplin? Hey man, I learned to love Joplin, but when Andrea first moved there, she didn't go, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Now, we lived in Calgary. 
waking up, seeing the Rocky Mountains, and then we moved to Joplin. And then we moved to Illinois. I don't know if that makes more sense or not. And then we moved back to Joplin. And then finally, Oklahoma. (laughs) And it, it did. Didn't it seem like we were making choices and we were kind of going through this and we were making decisions? I hope that what we were also doing was, was sensing, was responding to the hand and the purposes of God. He determines all these things. Why? Look at verse 27. He did this. God is in charge of all of this. It says, he did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God is doing all of these things. God is orchestrating all of these things. God is in charge of all of these things. So that people might realize the brokenness. That they might realize their dependence. You you right now could stand up and object to that. That's not happening. No. Paul's aware of that. That's why he's there preaching this truth. Just because God's doing it doesn't mean that everybody sees it. Doesn't mean that everybody understands it. Someone has then been appointed by God to stand in the gap. Moses. Daniel. Esther. Reminding them, we're not here by happenstance, we're not here by fate, we are here by the sovereignty of God. I'm here to help you understand that. It says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your, some of your own poets have said. Yeah, even Kurt Cobain could get it right sometimes. For we are also his offspring. I, I love it when I, I listen to, to great um, uh, musical artists or philosophers and they're describing the complexities and the difficulties of the world. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing them speak biblical truths and they're not even followers of Jesus. They're describing an emptiness or a lack of something inside of them. They're recognizing their own brokenness at the end of their life. One of the, one of the original founders of this country commented at the end of his life, I think I would have been better served if I had read more of the Bible and less of Voltaire. Wow, that's, that's insightful. By the way, that, that, that understanding didn't save him. But he could see something was wrong or something was broken. And, and what you and I get to see is not just that something is wrong and something is broken, but that there is something that is good still. That God is still good. And that he's got this. He's got you. He's got your relationships. He has your marriage. He has the relationship that you're way, and I'm not even saying wrongly, but you're really, really concerned about with your children. God has that. He's not disconnected from it. I don't like drawing a line between knowing something and believing something, but I began with something that we need to know, and now I want to talk about something that we believe. And if there is a, if there is a move, or if there is a, a, a kind of a, a progression, um, believe has more of a, and now I will put my trust in. No, it usually means a little bit more than this. It's not just facts, because they can provide great comfort. But I, I do want to take a step further and say, there are some things that I, I genuinely convicted that we need to believe. And that is this, that God is now then working out his eternal plan with us. Not that God's just over it, but that he's working it out with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Like that's how he is sovereign over, in, and through. 
is that God is now and then engaging with us in the middle of this. That God is not just moving the pieces around, but somehow in his sovereignty, we are involved in the working out, in the sharing of the gospel, in the bringing words of peace and hope and truth. We are now involved in stepping into broken relationships and speaking biblical truth and modeling what it actually looks like to be someone who forgives someone instead of just canceling them. Like, we're in this. The Bible makes it really, really clear. We are in this. Now, when it comes to prepositions, I really wrestled with the God is working out his eternal plan with us. Can't tell you how much time I spent this week trying to figure, is that the right word? Is it with us? Because here's one of the problems. With us just kind of sounds like, here's God, here's us. Hand in hand. Right? And, and a lot of people even want to try to have that picture of God, that God's in this with us. True, but we're not in it in the same way. Just go back to point number one. <laughs> but I couldn't escape the fact that God really is working out his eternal plan with us. Noah, I am going to destroy the world, and so start building. Moses, I am going to set my people free, and so I need you to go stand before Pharaoh. Ah, don't, 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 don't know what to say. I just, I'm not a good, 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 good communicator. And God, that's okay. Don't even need you to be right now. Just need you to go. And God in his sovereign plan is working these things out with us. And, and by the way, not only just like with us, but like something is happening to us as we're walking through this. Like as we go through time, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, like we're changing. Like this is hopefully the, the plan that you begin to see. Like you're becoming more like Jesus. You're responding in kind. You're becoming more mature in your faith. You're becoming more controlled in your speech. Your relationships aren't growing more disordered. They're not becoming more chaotic. At least not, not because of what you're doing. But in the end, like God is working out his eternal plan with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And, and this is what it actually means for you to wake up tomorrow. You will wake up tomorrow by the power of the Holy Spirit and you then will spend your next 24 hours until you wake up the next day being an active agent by the power of God for the purposes of God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Really? I, I, just, I just, I work, I work down at the quarry we even have a quarry? I don't think we have a quarry, but you know, I just, I don't, I'm just, I'm just, just going to class. <laughs> um, I just teach third grade, whatever it is that you do, right? This, this is what, this is what the Bible actually says about people who, who begin to understand that God has got this and that God is now engaging us in this. Here's what he actually says. I love this verse. It's kind of a weird verse found in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It's a weird verse. 
But I like this verse because it gives us some insight. It's, it's describing, it's in this chapter, it's going through all the things that different individuals from different tribes bring to the community. And, and every, every, every tribe brings something unique and something good and something beneficial to the community. And we don't hear a lot about the tribe of Issachar, but this is what the Issacharites bring to the table. And from the Issacharites, I haven't said that word very many times in my life, and from the Issacharites, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I like that. They understood the times. They, they took a look around. But then they didn't just know that it was broken. They didn't just run around and say, do you know what's happening to our culture? They didn't just have one more reason to be angry or upset. They didn't have one more thing to add to your, I should be more concerned about this list. They, they knew what to do. They knew what to do. And I just have to assume that since the Bible is saying it, it's, it's not that they knew what to do because everybody else was doing it. Like that, that's my problem. Is I only One of the first ways I know what to do is I just take a look and we'll see what everybody else is doing. Do you know what's going wrong with the world today? Yeah. What, what are we doing? Just running around yelling and screaming? Okay, I'll start running around yelling and screaming. Um, I just, I'm, I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm just going to shut down and mind my own business. I'm just going to start taking care of myself. Um, I'm going to become really, really angry, and I'm going to stand in protest. You know, and by the way, you might go, well, there's a time for that. No, 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 I totally believe there are times for all of those things. Do you know the when and the where and the how? And the Issacharites did. And, and, and I'm telling you, I see some of you just nailing it. Like you're Issacharites. You understand the times and, and, and the way that you are leading your family, the way that you are um, continuing to, to work in and on and through your marriage is just inspirational. I promise you, many of us are watching and you need to keep doing it. Like you not only know that the world is broken, but that you know that Jesus is the solution. Like the way that you're preparing to, to just to leave university is just wow. Like you just get it. You just don't know the problem, or you just don't know the solution. You know how all of us need to actively engage, and how many of us right now need more of that kind of modeling. I do. I need you. Not to model how to lose my mind publicly, but to remember who God is, and to remember that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us as we deal with things like racism, as we begin to hear the, the news about what happens in states like Minnesota. And having a biblical perspective of what like, Christian people should do. And, and by the way, it's not just fix Minnesota. It's like to realize that, no, 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 we live in Stillwater. Don't need to travel there to fix their problems. I, I need to know what to do I'll just, I'll begin with my marriage. I'll begin with my family. I'll begin in my cul-de-sac. I'll begin in um, the circles in which I, I move. Like, I, I really do believe that the more we understand that God is working out his eternal plan with us by the power of his Holy Spirit, then we begin to realize that most people, including myself, have been far too involved in what I now just refer to as overreaching. 
fixing everybody else's problems. Forgetting that one. Like really concerned about how you're parenting your kids and just totally forgetting that the fact that I've got three of my own. Like I'm really, really concerned about what's happening in and, and, and not even aware of what's happening in. No, once we realize that God is actually working out his eternal plan with us by the power of his Holy Spirit, it, it doesn't mean that we close off our eyes to the things that happen 20 miles away, 50 miles away, 1,000 miles away. It's not that. But can you realize the, the lack of ability that you have to really make a difference there when you're not even making a difference here? Listen to what the Word of God says, because this, when we understand that the power of the Spirit is in us and it is working through us, this is what happens, is we begin to not grow weary. We, we, we don't give up, because that's, that's kind of one of my big concerns from this message, is I just hear a lot of, I'm growing weary and I feel like giving up, and I'm growing weary and I feel like giving up, and I'm growing weary and I feel like giving up, and I'm not in my own spirit going, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm going, if I hear one more of these, I'm going to grow weary and give up. I've even learned that by hanging around certain people, they make me more nervous. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And by being around other people, I become more courageous. And by being around other people, I become more angry and frustrated. And becoming around other people, I become more passive. This is what I've learned. And by the way, you know what I'm not allowed to do? I'm not allowed to give up on any of those groups. I need to grow up and actually realize that that yes, these things are true, but the spirit that now dwells in me and God's purposes for me I'm not just passively walking through this, but God is guiding me through this. Jesus saw it in the disciples' faces, them just wearing thin. So he tells them a parable about a woman who just keeps going before this judge and just keeps sharing this concern and sharing this concern and sharing this concern and sharing this concern. And this woman is just nagging this judge. Luke says, so he told them this parable on the need for them to pray always and to not give up. I, I believe we need to hear that. To pray always and to not give up. I, I just can't help but think that so much of the, the concerns and the frustrations that I've, I've had over my life have been spent vexing and, um, and, and complaining uh, to other people and, and sparing very little time talking to God about it. Well, do you know what's happening right now um, in our, our school system here in Stillwater, Oklahoma? No, I've heard some things. Well, what are we going to do? I, I, think, I think somebody should do something. I think we should do something. I think as Christians we should be aware and we should do things. All for that. And, and I know we're talking a lot about it. Are we praying about it? Well, listen, that's the problem. It's not just about prayer. It's about action. Listen, I'm all for action. Just tell me that it's bathed in prayer. I really do believe that we as a church need to be very, very intentional about how we speak about things and who we speak about things. And I just think, could you imagine how much more of our conversations would be empowered by the Spirit if you and I knew to speak to God first and foremost and primarily before we decided to just run around with everybody else? I just think some things would change. And I think we would look more like Jesus. I genuinely believe that. And I believe we would be encouraged and strengthened and inspired in the process. I believe God would not abandon us. I think our marriages would have a, a, a deeper context. I think our families would have uh, like, a, like a divine word spoken into them. 
Listen to these verses about not giving up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. I love that. It's not that, yeah, I'm being renewed day by day because everything is working. No, Paul says we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Question, do you look back at the last few years and just go, I have never been more renewed? No, no. And this is what I had to admit as I was reading this text. Um, the, the wearing down on the outside has actually taken a toll on my soul. I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I feel guilty about that. It's just a reality. And, and now I need to be reminded that God is working out his eternal plan with me by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that now reorients my day, my relationships. My purpose. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap, we will reap at the proper time, like a harvest, if we do not give up. This is kind of what Morgan did such a good job talking about. We're not going to get tired of doing good because of the reward that he has for us. So here's the beauty of it. It's, it's, this isn't about, man, we really need to kind of think of turning inward a lot of the, a lot of the problems that the church has always had, that when the, when the world becomes uh, more oppositional and more defiant and more, uh, more complicated and difficult and oppressive, that is that we turn inward. We're not turning inward. We're turning upward. We're not going to grow tired of doing good. Yeah, but you know what? We did all this good, and I don't know if it really paid off. All they did was they said bad things about us. Listen, I can't, I can't, I can't change what they're going to do, but we are not going to grow tired of doing good because we believe that the Lord will reward us. Do we not, Morgan? And that reward will be worth it. And so we're not going to get tired of doing good, even if it doesn't look like it's going to pay off. It's not just about trying to figure out how to make everything work. It's about trusting in God and in what is true and what is right and what is good and what is noble and what is pure. Believing that we can turn the other cheek. Believing that we can walk a second mile. Believing that we can actually deal with reproach and negative things being said about us without just somehow becoming just like them. No, we actually believe that we're not going to grow tired of this. We're not going to give up. So how do you do this? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 makes it very clear. Hebrews 12, 3. Underline this if you're weary. Underline this if you find yourself at the end of your rope. Consider him. That's Jesus. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. That's such a Sunday school answer. I'm going to start using that to mean that's a really good answer. Consider him. First of all, it was from sinners that he was dealing with. Which, welcome to the world, Jesus. And, and it says this, to consider him means to reason or to think about. Consider him. Think about him. Think about what he did. Think about how he acted. Think about how he responded to circumstances. Think about how he dealt with opposition. Think about how he was not overly impressed when when people were impressed by him. Think about how he knew how to speak, whether the crowd was 15,000 or whether they're all walking away and notice that his message never changed. He he just kept 
being Jesus, speaking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, confronting like Jesus. I also found this to be very interesting. Who endured such hostility? Um, you know what the word for hostility is there? It, when I think of hostility, I think of like the cross, right? The beating, the yelling, um, the, the torturing, right? That's the hostility. That's, isn't that what he's talking about? No. The word literally means like it's anti-logia. It, it's, it's verbal. I thought that was interesting. It's Jesus endured this hostility from sinners in constant verbal assault. Now that, now that speaks to us today, doesn't it? What, what do you do when you're constantly dealing with verbal assault? Quit. Respond back. Negative word for negative word. Run away and hide. Huh. When you find yourself being worn down by just this verbal barrage, take to heart. And consider Jesus, who endured all of these things for our sake. Things we know, things that we believe. I want to I wrap this up, though, by saying that there is a kind of a way in which we now live. That that idea of, of, of trusting in Jesus, that idea of recognizing God's sovereignty, and now that he is working through us, and we remember that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're trusting this power of the Spirit, and we're not growing weary. This, now we are literally living in a, in a spirit or in an attitude or in a, an, an empowerment in which we are now set free from fear and frustration. If I said to you, how many of you would like to be free from fear and frustration? Man, I, I would love that. I would love that. Listen, that's what Jesus promises. We, we sing songs about it. I'm just, I'm just wondering, can we live our Monday like it? And we're going to sing songs about it. Well, I'm free. I'm totally free. I'm, the power of Jesus in me, who's greater is he who's in me than he who's in me. We have all these verses. But literally, we live from the sense of knowing that Jesus has actually set us free from fear and frustration. And we are now free from fear and frustration to follow his example of speaking the truth in love. And we're not going to do it like the way everybody else does it. We're not going to respond like the world responds. We're going to respond like Jesus responds to complicated times. We're aware of what is happening. I remember a gentleman coming into my office, and he just felt like I didn't get what was happening. And this happened long before COVID, long before the most recent political problems. He just came into my office, and he was absolutely terrified about what was happening and the rights and the freedoms that were quickly being taken away from us. And did you know? And did you know? And almost everything he said, do you know? I knew. And every time I just kept saying, but in reality, here's who God is and here's what's going on. And he just kept looking at me and in a condescending way, I wasn't offended. Um, he just kept thinking and saying aloud, you don't get it. You don't understand. And I could tell what he was really saying was, you need to be acting like me. That's what I thought he was saying. And I just kept thinking, but where does Jesus fit into this attitudinally? Where does Jesus fit into this in terms of ridding ourselves of our fear and our frustration? And that's why I really believe we need to have a big picture of Jesus, not a small picture of Jesus. 
I love the idea of Jesus speaking truth in love because it, it really offers the fullness of Jesus. Jesus is a, a bold and a strong. He is a warrior. He is courageous. He can, stands up against his greatest opposition and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, break a bruised reed. He is, he is quiet and his, he is merciful and he is tender and he is kind and he is compassionate as he is strong and powerful. Isn't that interesting about Jesus? C.S. Lewis says there's no one else like him. And then C.S. Lewis says it like this in the silver chair. The lion's Jesus. Are you thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Will you, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He didn't say this as if he were boasting, or as if he were sorry, nor as if he were angry. He just said it. Oh dear, said Jill, coming up another step nearer. I suppose I should go look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Like there is no other hope. There is no other purpose other than Jesus. And you and I now stand in this place and this time as ambassadors for him. We better look like him in the fullness of who he is, speaking the truth in love. If I can borrow some words from J.R.R. Tolkien in one of his books, I don't know which one it was. Some warrior guy must have said this, but I love this line. Listen to this. War must be. We're in complicated times, brothers and sisters. It is difficult. And even though the war might not be with like guns and tanks, although that's true too, but the kind of battle that we are in is still a war. And he says this, war must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness nor the arrow for its swiftness or the warrior for his glory, I love only that which they defend. Put your head around that. Brothers and sisters, there's a bunch of us that are loving the war, that are loving the way in which we're fighting. And it, it looks arrogant and proud and unchristian. Of what we defend, Jesus, the kingdom, forgiveness, mercy, truth, sexual purity. I mean, you name it, all of these things. Paul says to the Ephesian church, we speak the truth in love and we should not, uh, sorry, uh, speaking the truth in love, let us now grow up in every way into him who is the head. As we speak the truth in love, we become more like Jesus Christ. And as both a conclusion as a, and as a reminder of what uh, this next series is going to be about, this is how John describes Jesus in chapter, in chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only, the Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. I heard someone say one time, you know, uh, this church is about truth and I'm about love and I, I just wish there was more love and, and I'm, I'm not even going to say 
No, you're wrong. We're about both. Even, even if that's right, I, just, I began to just think more. It's never about love or truth. It's never about grace or truth. Truly, anything that is gracious, that is not bound in truth, is not true grace. And anything that is bound in love, that does not have truth in it, is not loving, no matter who likes it. It's not loving. And, and, and we have to have truth in love. And Jesus is our model. I definitely believe that the people in Stillwater, whether they know it or not, want and need to see models of Jesus-like living that are obviously informed by biblical principles and standards, but, and they need to see that in us. And the beauty of it is, is that God is going to, is what, I, what I kind of expect, is to wake up tomorrow morning in a very broken and difficult world with a very powerful and loving Savior and the Spirit to give me the strength and the wisdom to offer hope to a world that so desperately needs it. Will you join me with that? Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've accomplished and what you've done, and I pray that you would continue to lead and guide and strengthen us. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we humbly pray. Amen.